0: Well, grace and peace to you. Good morning. Thank you for those of you who were praying for me and encouraging me from last week and uh, still recovering some and um, appreciate your prayers. Uh, This morning we are turning to God's word, continuing this fourth Sunday of Advent to see the wondrous work. Of our King, of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So if you turn in your Bibles, please turn them to Philippians chapter 2 as we see the wonderful humility of our Savior. And uh, because I was a bit sick, and I apologize that if I'm coughing or uh, need to uh, take a moment. Um, Please know as well uh, that uh, the outline that's in your bulletin isn't going to be as accurate as I had hoped it to be. We're going to look at more the, 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 the latter half of this passage than the beginning. Um, but, um, but in that, little theologians, as, uh, as your parents permit, as you're thinking and hearing the sermon, I'd encourage you to draw a picture of something that you know is an in interest to someone you love. So draw something that you know that's important to somebody who you care about. Uh, in the case of, you know, for myself, I would draw a picture of a cup of coffee, because my wife loves a cup of coffee, especially in the morning. But if you would draw something that you know is an interest someone you love. It's an uh, image that I think is important as we look at this text because uh, in this passage we see a God who came and became man, who set his own interests aside to see the interest of others. He humbled himself, laying aside his glory so that you would be loved, so that you would be his treasured possession. Let's hear from God's word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to the interests or to, your, to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Father in heaven, as we approach and come before your word, we bring our hearts and our lives before you. Lord, we acknowledge that we're weak, we're needy people. Lord, would you give us a big picture of your love? Would you enlarge our understanding of your grace? Lord, would you help us to be zealous and passionate for you? your interests as you set aside your glory for our interest bless your word in our hearts today for we ask in Jesus name amen well where do you find great joy in your life where do you find great joy in your life as a, uh, a child growing up, I loved sports. In high school, I played a few varsity sports. One varsity sport was tennis, and I found great joy, not just in tennis, but playing tennis with a partner, playing doubles. Some of you, I know, play doubles. It was a fun thing to be uh, together in, in the same mind, almost like listening to jazz, where you can anticipate the other person's move, and you, and you can play together in such a way that you almost know what's coming next. To be of the same mind a lot, gave me a lot of joy. But then there was this one time when I played with a new partner. <laughs> in my senior year, we were trying to play together in such a way that we were not of the same mind. In tennis, when, a, when a, a tennis ball comes at you and you yell, mine, you get out of the way of the other partner. And so as we were playing and, 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 and together in this game, This partner of mine kept shouting out, mine, 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 almost as if he didn't trust me. Almost as if he wasn't sure I was going to hit it back the right way. And it frustrated me. And so I started saying, mine, mine. And a a small rivalry began in a partnership—a rivalry that should have been against the other team—was formed in our own hearts. And suddenly, we were fighting each other. Mine, mine, mine! Until the ball went flying up in the air one time, and we both yelled "mine!" and we ran and smacked into each other, falling over. The ball hits. We not only lose the point; we lost the game. How painful and frustrating it is when we're not of one mind. When we're called to live in a partnership, in a community, there's no joy when we seek our own gain. Well, this morning the Apostle Paul tells us what he, how he receives joy. He receives joy by seeing the church, God's people gathered together, being a community, being a community that's of one mind, one accord, the same love, being of one mind together. And we see in verse one, he says that the outworking of, of one mind, the way the church ought to, to live, a picture, a snapshot of how a community of grace, what it looks like, what it ought to look like. It's beautiful. If you look in verse 1, you see it described, it's, it's encouragement in Christ, encouraging the building up of the body, it's, it's comfort from love, it's, it's a participation in the work of the Holy Spirit, knowing he's at work in our lives, trusting him, following him, being led by him. It's affection and it's sympathy for one another. It's a beautiful picture, it's a picture we all long for of what community ought to look like. And Paul desires this. He desires and has joy when he sees a church operating as a community of grace and love, a community that's ultimately of one mind with one another. This is his desire for the Philippian church, a church that's likely struggling with some some fracturing, selfish ambition, some rivalry that's going on within either the leadership or the teaching or or within the body itself, there's there's stress fractures. They're not necessarily of one mind. So how do we as a church, how does Paul encourage the Philippian church to act in one mind? Well, if you look down in verse 5, he repeats this phrase of mind together. He writes this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to share not only an example, but the means by which we obtain that mind. But let's slow down and think about what that mind means, what Paul's actually saying, what's that unity that's driven together by. Well, this mind, it's not just something cognitive. It's not something uh, that we simply know, even though we know aspects of this. We know truth, we know God, we have a a good theology. But the mind is more than that. It's almost a mindfulness or an attitude. An attitude that reflects the truth of the gospel, the example of what Christ has done. it's, It's a mind in which we live out in a way that's united together. A way that comes ultimately in the form of humility. Paul tells us here that that the goal of the Christian life, the goal is ultimately the glory of God and and a reflection of that glory is the community that God is at work building amongst ourselves to be a blessing, to be a place where we encourage and build and comfort one another up. It comes not from rivalry, it comes from humility. It comes in humility and it only comes by being in Christ. That's that second half of this verse in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is union language. Because we belong to Jesus, because we look to him for our salvation, for, as our king. And ultimately, as we look at what he has done for us in humility, So we look to the wondrous work of Jesus' humility, It fosters a mind of unity and a community of love and grace. To examine this, Paul gives us these these two ideas. In the beginning part, the first few verses, he starts us out by helping us see the meaning of our humility. He explains that the meaning of our humility uh, is important for us to understand the importance of our humility. And he draws a contrast to it in verse 3. If you look there, you can see this, this, this picture that he's drawing between selfish ambition or conceit and humility. This mindset, this way of thinking, this way of engaging in the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul describes the, the fractures or the distress that happens in a community that seeks to be one. Uh, it, the, the fractures come when we all seek or act in a mindset that, that he says not to do in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now, what do those two words mean? Well, selfish ambition, if you look at other translations, it means a rivalry. You can think about my tennis match. A rivalry where, where together, instead of being built, up, building up the other, it's seeking me first. And, and, and a conceit, which Paul literally squishes two words together, empty and glory. It's an empty glory that we seek, a glory that generates from ourselves and our greatness, our desire to build ourselves up and look great in the eyes and in the minds of others. Paul tells us, do nothing from this mindset. Do nothing from the sense of rivalry, competing with your brothers and sisters, or trying to build yourself up and obtain your own glory. These destroy community. One pastor described it this way. He said, selfish ambition wants my way or the highway. It's my interest first. It's it's the Black Friday, the Black Friday mindset. An ambition that says I have to get what I want first and I've got to get it before everyone else. You may even be able to act in kind ways, ways that appear gentle, but be motivated by a desire and ambition to be seen as great in the eyes of others. Selfish ambition isn't an act itself. It's the mindset that we reflects a fallen human condition that every human heart struggles with apart from Christ. And it makes the formation of real community almost impossible because it's seeking to build up ourselves. And so what do we do about it? Paul Paul tells us what to do about it. He tells us do nothing to do with this selfish ambition or conceit, but look in a way that is living out humility in the world. And if we were to understand what Paul means by humility, we could only understand it through the lens of the work of Jesus. In fact, he tells us that it's the means by which we obtain humility. A mindset of oneness again that union with Christ Jesus is the means or the way of our humility he is an example for us but he's more than that we continue to look at him and look at his wondrous work of humility to foster hearts of humility in our own minds You see, what that does when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them on Jesus, when we actually look at what he's done for us, which we'll look at in a moment, it actually breaks the cycle of a selfish ambition humility in our own hearts. You know that feeling when I feel like I'm doing really well, I'm so humble, so modest, so great, and then I realize I'm just talking about myself, (laughs) And I fall into that cycle of pride. Look how great I am. I'm so humble. But then I can become more humble and, and I can look greater in the eyes of others. The way we break that cycle is to look to Jesus. to know he's the means of our humility. Let's look at what he does for us. Let's look at this wondrous work. Beginning in verse six, we're told that Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Let's just pause there for a moment. Paul's describing the form of Jesus before the incarnation. He was in the form or appearance of God. Uh, This picture that Paul gives to us, it's, it's describing the way you would have seen Jesus If you would have seen him before the incarnation, you would have recognized that he was in the form of God Almighty. The picture of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, high and lifted up, holy, holy, holy. If you were to see Jesus, he was deserving of full worship. To see Jesus, he would have shamed any selfish ambition in our hearts. We would have been laid prostrate before him. And yet Jesus does something remarkable with his divine glory, with his divine, what could be seen as greatness and exaltedness, he sets it aside. He doesn't consider it or count it equality with God to be grasped. If you were to go back to verse three in our text, if you look there, Paul tells us that in humility, the second half of this verse, do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition or conceit. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Paul uses the same word for us to, to, to not count ourselves as significant as others. So also Jesus does not count his own significant as his chief priority. If anyone has the right to say my way or the highway, it's the Lord. But he sets it aside. He sets aside his significance and he empties himself. This is what verse 7 ultimately gets at. He, he empties himself, which, which, which is a confusing language for us because it might sound like Jesus is giving up Godhead. But if he's God, he can't lose his divine nature. If he did, he wasn't God to begin with. But instead, this emptying language, it means that he let everything go, everything that made him look like God. He let it go for the interest of others to set aside to love his people. What would it have been like to have the glory of God? What would it have been like to give up that glory? Jesus sets his glory aside. And he does it as Paul describes in verse 4. Again, we're going back, but look in verse 4. He, he exemplifies this. He shows us what humility looks like. And Paul's encouraging us to live in this way, in this mindset of humility, to let each of you look not to his own interest, but also the interest of others. And that word interest, it's translated that way, but the, but the word actually means things or stuff, it's the stuff that, that's more than just possessions, and it's more than just what, what we're interested in. It's, it's the identity of who we are. It's, it's the passions and, and, and desires. It's the things that make you, you, your gifting. It's all of what makes up you as a person. Paul's saying in verse 4, and it's reflected in Jesus, uh, to not look at our own interest only but to look at how god made each and every person that he's put in our path that their interests their identity their stuff who they are would become important to us that we want to know them treat them as more significant than ourselves this is what jesus does in his humility he comes to earth and in verse 7 he takes the form not of god but of his, as a servant he's Born in the likeness of men, he came to find out our interests, our identities, who we are. He came to identify as a man of sorrows, even if in our suffering and pain, he came to know us in the lowliest of forms. Because that word servant, as much as we want to translate it perhaps as servant, it's actually the lowest of lows. It's the slave. It's the picture that you can't get any farther low. That's the form Jesus was known as. If you were to see him in his earthly ministry, if you were to see him as he was heading to the cross, you would see someone of the lowliest of forms. See, in in Roman world, in the ancient world, humility wasn't a virtue. You know, we consider civil servants uh, service almost as if it's something to to look forward to, to, to seek after, virtuous. But humility wasn't a virtue in the ancient world. Humility was something to despise. It was for someone who was underneath you. It was an insult. And remember what Isaiah 53, remember what what the promise of the coming of the servant would look like. In Isaiah 53, verse 8, he's described, excuse me, verse 3, he's described as, as being despised. Rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one with whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. We weren't going to exalt him. Isaiah is describing the lowest of forms. And Jesus embraces for us. A form that, that's probably best described as not humility, but almost humiliation. If you were to see Jesus in the incarnation, if you were to see him as he head to the the cross, you'd see someone who you would think deserved to be mocked and spat upon and ultimately crucified die in the most humiliating, miserable of ways. Jesus embraces this kind of humility He does it as the God-man, the divine king, the lowliest of humans. He does it becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Why did he do it? Well, the Lord is willing to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary, to deliver his people from their own sin of selfish ambition and rivalry. The Lord became obedient to his father because he knew that by the shedding of blood there would be forgiveness for his people. That the glory that he gave to his father in becoming obedient would lead to real community. It would shift our focus away from me, mine, to our heavenly father, and to the interests of others. One pastor said it this way, the hunger, or my words, the craving for selfish ambition, the hunger that we strive to fill in our lives is ultimately the glory that Jesus died to give. The hunger that we strive to fill is ultimately the glory that Jesus died to give. On the cross, the God of the universe poured out himself. He emptied himself. He served us. He served us even though we had a hunger to fill ourselves. He gave us himself so that as we look to him, we would be filled in him. We'd be overflowing in him. When we look to God on the cross, it's the Lord who heals who frees us from the exhausting burden of constantly focusing on myself. The glory that we've always longed for in our rivalry, we set aside to see a greater glory by being united to him. That's how we foster the mind of Christ And Paul tells us that the death did not end the work of Jesus. In verse 9 through 11, we see this beautiful picture of the results of this humility. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The father shares his glory with his son. This is a glory that was described in Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee should bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. The father shares his glory. With the Son. The Son lives in perfect obedience, sets his interests aside for the Father. In this community of the triune God, mutual love and honor, the Lord is showing us a picture. And he's giving us a humility, a work, so that we could participate in a community the way God Himself lives. God himself will be glorified. We will be part of the union with Christ as we seek to build the same mind. Well, this evening uh, we have quite a opportunity. I hope you'll be able to join us as Pastor John mentioned this morning at the Christmas concert. And as John Wyckoff knows and Jeremy and others know, I don't know much about music. I don't know much about concerts. But one thing I do know is that the purpose of a concert, the purpose of joining our voices together to sing, is not for one voice to be heard over another. The purpose of a concert, the purpose of a choir, is to be seen and heard together. That more can be accomplished by not shouting our voices as loud as I can, by humbling ourselves so that all voices can be heard, to set aside our interest and our greatness so that a community can be formed. I hope you'll come tonight and I hope you'll hear this in the concert, a vocal picture of the community that we need here at Covenant Church, united by laying our own glory aside so that we may see the glory of God and we may experience more of the community of living in him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us that would send your son to show us how we might live like you Lord, would you help us in the places of our own selfish ambition? Would you help us as we even think about our own empty glory in our lives? That you would draw our gaze upon our Savior, Jesus. We'd see the greater glory that he experienced as he laid his own glory aside for you. Help us to look to him when we struggle to love one another. Help us when this busy season when we fight for things in all sorts of other ways that we might live, help us to look to your interest and the interests of those around us. And help us even now to worship you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.